This is Irish Illustrated Insider Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. We have just come from Marcus Freeman's introduction as head football coach at Notre Dame. We've seen a few of these in different locations. This, of course, was in the Irish Athletics Complex. And um, I think I'm safe to say that pretty much everybody that saw that believes that Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame won the day. Yeah, it's. I mean, we've winning the press conferences can be a little bit overrated, um, but saying the right things and hitting the right notes and being authentic is is not. Um, and I think you saw the reasons why Marcus Freeman was such a hot commodity a year ago. Um, I think you saw the reasons and heard the reasons and felt the reasons why he was a guy that if you're Notre Dame, you want to roll the dice with. You want to see if this can be a guy that can elevate your program uh, beyond where it is the been the last five years. So it's um, his ability to communicate, I think is, is really off the charts. And I think we've, we've talked a lot about that. Cause like here, cause like the reason he's the head coach is he's not just communicating with the players. He's not just communicating with Jack Swarbrick and father John Jenkins. He's communicating with board of trustees members, committing, communicating with faculty. And though, the way he comes off and all of that. Um, I talked to Swarbrick, Swarbrick a little bit after, and somebody's asking him, asked him like, you know, do you think that Marcus Freeman sort of makes this conscious decision to try to relate, relate to everybody? And he's like, you know, I, I would remove conscious from that. Like it's just who he is. So I think that you saw, you saw as like an authentic Marcus Freeman today. Um, and those are the reasons why he's, that's one of the, one of, if not the biggest reason why he's the head coach right now. I had two takeaways until Pete prompted number three. Pete, when you said you don't, winning the press conference is overrated. Let's not forget. And I don't want to continually make these comparisons, but Brian Kelly tried to start one by saying, I don't care about winning the press conference. Well, you didn't. And Marcus <laughs> Freeman just did. Uh, look, the reason he won it isn't because he had an amazing speech prepared. It wasn't because he choked up. It was because he was genuine and everything. And the moment you see someone and talk to somebody, most people can figure out one thing about them. Are they genuine? Marcus Freeman is genuine. And I think that's why his relationships with people, players, and recruits will be lasting going forward. And number two, he said, and I really like this change. And you have to be careful how you say it in Notre Dame when he said, hey, when I was 16 or 17 as a recruit, maybe all I wanted to do was go somewhere that could help me win a national championship. We want to say, good, then come here. As opposed to couching everything with, well, let's look beyond the national championship. First, he said, you can come here. And then later on, he right. added that Notre Dame helps you the minute you retire from professional football or whatever like that. Because I always think it's important that the message is huge, the message is different, but you better have the message that you can win the national title too, or it's going to be the recruiting will be like it was, right? Not quite the elite player. I think the first time we had a Zoom interview with Marcus Freeman, we you talked about genuine. I, we knew then. We knew yeah. then that, that no, it was genuine. When you meet someone if they're genuine. Yeah. There might be other things involved, but you know if they're genuine. Right. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I thought it was interesting that Jack Swarbrick said, you know, the players didn't make this decision. And then he got together with the seven captains. And after 45 minutes, he realized that their message to him was, Jack, don't screw it up. That was good. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Which, you know, I mean, so that meeting took place at 2.15 after we had a press conference with, with Jack Swarbrick at 10 o'clock. And at, at you know, by t at 10.30 or 10.45, it was like, where is this going? Uh, he doesn't have a sense of urgency. What's going to happen here? But four hours later, 
I, you know, I mean, I, I, he came out of that meeting with the captains at three o'clock uh, on, on last Tuesday. Isn't it amazing? That's only been six days since that happened. That that's really hard to believe. Uh, but <laughs> Jack didn't screw it up. Yeah. It's, I mean, the way I, I wrote this in a column on Friday, sort of when Notre Dame announced it, like <clears throat> if the players, okay. If you want to say the players didn't choose Marcus Freeman, that's fine. Um, I, I hear what you're saying, but they absolutely earned Marcus Freeman, like because they had sort of built the culture to where it is and took ownership of it. That's earning the right to continue something. Yeah. That's the administration saying what you're doing as players resonates with us to a point that you've earned the right to continue doing it. Marcus Freeman is, is the custodian of that. Uh, but it, but it is a real credit to the players for earning the right for Marcus Freeman to be their head coach. And that, and that was Swarbrick said that what Swarbrick said that, you know, the players were the culture they built it. He said that last Tuesday and he said again, after their meeting, I liked how, I liked how he called uh, Matt Bayless, the minister of culture, yeah. because that was, that was the first move that he made. He locked him up and then, and then, and then made the move towards um, Tommy Reese as well. So, I mean, um, you know, Marcus Freeman called it opportunity of a lifetime. I thought the phrase that he used that Katie Lonergan helped him come up with regarding the players is that they are exceptional thinkers. And uh, Marcus Freeman is very thankful that they are exceptional thinkers because they were thinking about him from the moment that they they walked into that that meeting with uh, with Jack Swarbrick. So it kind of short term switch. I'm glad that things were broached about the, the bowl game because. You know, it's it's a more important bowl game than most bowl games are these days, right? For Marcus Freeman, for Notre Dame, for the offseason vibes. I don't think it's it's not – it wouldn't damper things that much, but I think it would really be a springboard into the offseason for them. You can't have a more excited fan base right now. And I was, There would be no negatives then going into the nine months. No. It would be a clean slate plus, yeah. a, plus a major bowl win for the first time since 93 speaking of a negative until like the last week of August, you'd be like, Oh gosh. All right, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. He may not call plays. Um, I, I found the reasoning interesting. Uh, he'll be so busy recruiting and doing things that maybe he has, won't be able to completely dedicate his, uh, his mind to calling plays. And his, what he said was, if I would be shortchanged to the players, I won't call plays. That was just surprising to me. I thought shoe in, he calls plays for this game. And then of course everything flushes out after that. Yeah, and I, I would be shocked. If you're not going to name a defensive coordinator before the bowl game, guess what? It's still you. Um, yeah, no, I agree with that. I think I, I hear what you're saying, Tim, and I think ultimately, you know, he does. May, maybe he won't have his eyes 100% on the game plan leading up, but he'll be aware enough, and he's, you know, I mean, he's got a lot of experience doing it, so I would imagine he'll be the defensive play caller. We should go through for people at home, too. Like, they didn't miss a week. They were taken last week off. Right. They just they just had a weird yeah, they weren't going to be practicing football last week. <laughs> they no. had a weird week, of course. They didn't yeah. do what they would normally be doing last week. But they also right now would just be getting into the this is where you discover um Jaden Thomas, right? This is where you figure out Justin Walters if he's healthy and, and Kari Gee. It's this is nothing to do still with, with Oklahoma State game planning or anything like that. I know if that frustrates fans or not, but they're not getting into that. And they wouldn't be even if it was a playoff game. That's just not the way. You're burned out. You're done. Your yeah. Players. The last thing, the last thing they need after playing six straight weeks and traveling and playing at night and that they did nobody does. I, I don't think anybody does that. You don't, I don't practice so. the week after the, the end of the regular season, unless you have a, a bowl game on 
I think they start December 17th or 18th. Yeah. I mean, often Brian Kelly wouldn't use all 15 practices, right? Yeah. You know, it was not, it was not essential. And I I don't know if it would be essential with this team either. Uh, You know, I, I, this is a phrase we're hearing more and more these days, but the buddy, but he, he, Marcus Freeman did tell the players that they are his why. And, and, and that is, I mean, again, it comes off as, as very genuine. And then the comment about, you know, having a sense of urgency right now and the importance of winning this football game for the guys that are leaving and for, for those that are, that are coming back. Um, And that may be, Kyron Williams, did I did I say that on the air or off there about off to the you guys about okay uh, Kyron Williams? We did speak with Kyron Williams. I asked him directly. Um, I didn't even I didn't even ask him if he was playing in the game. I, I I don't think there's any doubt about that. Unless you guys have some intel on that that says otherwise, I don't think there's any doubt that he's playing in the game. But I did ask him whether he would, you know, how strongly he was considering coming back, and and um, he he indicated that you know, he would like the opportunity to play for, for Marcus Freeman, but he hadn't made a decision yet, but I got to believe that knowing Kyron Williams, the Notre Dame competitor that he is, I got to believe that his heartstrings are being tugged by his teammates to, to stay beyond uh, the bowl game. I still don't believe that he will because I don't think it's in his best interest, but it's definitely something that he has given strong consideration to for a few weeks. Well, I mean, it's, it's a junior who he was an early enrollee. So he's probably pretty close to graduating. Not that he couldn't come back and graduate later as, as true for everybody, you know, Josh Adams included, but like the energy around Notre Dame uh, and the vibrance around Notre Dame. I mean, not just from Marcus Freeman, but like Marcus Freeman, his wife, Joanna and the kids, like it is just 180 degrees from where things were like, not that like it was dour by any stretch of the imagination, but like there is just like a youth and vigor around the program now that it just, I don't, I don't know if it's been here ever, certainly not in my time covering Notre Dame. I feel like this is also not a Kelly thing as much as any 12 year coach thing. Like we, we talked earlier in the year, why aren't they selling out? Why is this? Why is that? And the first one I gave you guys was fair or not. People aren't really that excited to go watch Brian Kelly's team come in third, fourth and fifth. I mean, that's not fair to Brian Kelly. He built an incredible program. Right now, it is just exciting for coaches, fans, players, everybody, professors at the university, everyone associated with this. In this case, for now, change is great. It's not just change for the sake of change. They didn't need to do that, right? I mean, this is this was not change for the sake of change. They were pushed into it. It cannot be a more exciting time. I don't believe a guy like that was going pro anyway, 100% is going to not go pro. But I do believe you're on the fence and you're like, do I want to go back for more of the same or am I ready for a new challenge? You might be like, how about I'm ready for a new challenge right here, right? That's a not, now you're ready for a new challenge where you're comfortable. It's it's a unique situation for Notre Dame. It, it is. Uh, you know, I agree, Tim. And, and I think that, I think Jack Swarbrick felt the same way. And, and I think it was obvious last Tuesday that he would like, because he said he appreciated that it wasn't a negotiation with Brian Kelly. It was, I'm leaving and, and okay. And I, and I really think that, you know, that relationship had really, man, that relationship, Brian Kelly and Jack Swarbrick, that's gone through up and down and around in every which way possible. And so you can imagine that Brian Kelly probably felt pretty good about ending that relationship with Swarbrick and vice versa. But I don't, you know, I, I think that this was, uh, I think it was exhilarating for for Jack Swarbrick to to go through this process and one that 
I'm sure initially it's like, oh, crap, he just quit on us. But once he had a chance to think about it for a second or two, it was like, okay, this gives us a new start. I may, if, if Swarbrick was thinking selfishly, it's like, I, okay, this is going to be my last hire for sure as director of athletics. And, and I want to hit a home run. And, and the players made him think that, that Marcus Freeman was a home run. And I'm, and I'm sure a, a whole lot of other people did as well. Was it your reaction, Pete and Tim? Oh, crap, what's going on when Brian Kelly was leaving too? I mean, it's like, oh, whoa, why now? They just built this program. Everything's, right. this is a quality uh, cover. I yeah, know. I mean, I, I was I was floored, you know, for all the reasons that we probably already talked about. Like, you just, everything he had said combined with, oh, you just built a house a block from campus. Um, your daughter's a student here. Notre Dame is really good. Yeah. You might make the playoff. Um, all of that was, yes, quite shocking. Um, but like if you had, like if Brian Kelly had left today and a week from now, we were at the same press conference we were at today, the perception of Brian Kelly to me would be completely different. Yeah. Um, but that's not how it played out. I, and if he would have left after the bowl game, it would have been a complete 180. I mean, then you're like, thank you, Brian Kelly. Yeah. 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 After the bowl game. I mean, you, you could do the same thing ghosting players like coming back and doing your two-minute speech see ya as long as you wait until the mission's done right I mean I know it can't work that way because you have to start your new mission but it would have been different for the rest of the world that isn't isn't really well aware that the football season for next year has started for 120 teams right now right yeah yeah not for Notre Dame, not for Notre Dame anymore yeah well I know that you know and again he and, and Pete I know you asked a um a question regarding him as the lead recruiter. Did you not? Somebody else did yeah, as well. So I asked him, um, cause you know, th there are a couple different ways to recruit. You can be the CEO recruiter yeah, and you can be the head coach of recruiting. His um, comment was sweet music to, to yeah. Notre Dame fans. <laughs> now that was, I mean, I asked it exactly that way because we, Brian Kelly was often described as the CEO as a compliment in recruiting. It's not, um, that that's one way to do it. It's not the only way to do it. I don't think it's the right way to do it either. So I phrased that question that way. And Marcus Freeman said, I'm going to be the lead recruiter on everybody we're recruiting. That is an incredible lift. Um, I think he is 100% sincere when he says it. And after the presser, I went over to Jack Swarbrick and I asked him a little bit about, you know, his perspective on what he needed the head coach to be in recruiting because he, for a long time, he, he has defended the CEO approach um, in, to, in interviews to all of us, I think, um, certainly to me when I've written about it. So, you know, it's like, I want to know when, if you're, if you're saying that, you know, the, the more hands-on head coach of recruiting is the, is the approach you, you want now, like, when did you start to change your opinion that this is the way to go? And it was interesting. He immediately said Dabo. Dabo Swinney and what was built at Clemson was what convinced Swarbrick that there was a different way to do this. Um, and he said, you know, their, their recruiting department, their evaluation department is top-notch down there. Their culture is incredible. You don't see kids leaving Clemson very often at all. Um, so I, I definitely appreciated sort of like, you know, who else is doing this maybe better or differently than we are? What can we take from another program? Because, I mean, you guys know in college football, every, everyone sells them what they're doing is the best. Yeah. Um, but there's so much to be learned when you, like, 
bring your head up a little bit and look around to see what else is going on. So <laughs> that was, that was pretty insightful. I thought from Sorberg post press conference, when he, he specifically mentioned Dabo Sweeney and Clemson. Well, and that's why when I see or read comments that, and this was again, during that period of time where is Sorberg going to blow this? Is he going to blow, you know, making this selection, but what you're pointing out about Dabo Sweeney and Clemson, I mean, that's forward thinking. That's the thinking yep. of a younger, that's a thinking of a younger guy. I, Jack Swarbrick is a brilliant administrator and, and he proved it once again. And that's why I think like we, we go back to last Tuesday and he was talking about CEO. And I thought to myself, I mean, Marcus Freeman doesn't, doesn't fit that. that that's not, I mean, I certainly he's, he's extremely bright and he's charismatic and he, he can, he can play that role, but he's 35 years old. The players love him. Uh, I'm sure he will have CEO responsibilities, but the whole point, the whole comment about I better be the number one recruiter, that's not a CEO statement, right? So it's the equivalent of the <coughs> accidental insult like game manager, you know, for, for, for a quarterback. It, it should be CEO that likes to get his hands dirty, like Bill CEO that is in charge of everything like Bill Belichick. That would be the way to say CEO from now on, as opposed Head to coach of recruiting. Yeah, it's like to me, and this is like I've felt this for the last few years. Of you know, other people have written it, head coaches have talked about it. Um, I ran this by Clark Lee to just be like, you know, do you think it's like, do you think this is right? The perception in 2021, if you're a college head football coach, you are one head coach of culture, two head coach of recruiting. That's those are those are the two most important things. Because in the past, it's all been like, well, you gotta have a whiz bang playbook, you gotta you gotta call the right plays. You got to run a practice schedule the right way. Like that to me is much less important now than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Now it's, it's much, so much more about who can you get in. And then with the transfer portal rules changing, it's who can you keep? So that's, that's where recruiting and culture sort of dovetail now. Yeah. And they're going to like, as far as the transfer portal, this is something Nordheim is going to have to address here soon because I mean, Brian Kelly just said it recently, like right at the end of the season when asked about it, that, you know, Notre Dame is still going to function mainly with grad transfers and not, you know, undergraduate transfers. That's going, it's going to be hard to remain as competitive if you're not going to go down that route. So they're going to have to, they're going to have to um, uh, deal with that in one fashion or another. But I thought it was interesting that Marcus Freeman said, you know, we're close. We're not there yet in terms of like winning national titles, but they are close. And I do believe to a large extent, that's true. A, a, a game-changing quarterback is necessary. I don't know if they have one of those in the program right now, at least beyond uh, beyond the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma State. Oh, yeah, there is a Fiesta Bowl. And Notre Dame's playing Oklahoma State. We haven't even mentioned that, and we will get into that shortly, but, uh, yeah, it, I mean, it was just, it, it, it felt good. It, it, it felt right. He talked about, you know, learning how loving these guys in 11 months, but that the players understand that it's not, it's not all warm and fuzzy, which, you know, I, I'm sure behind closed doors, they all realize that we don't necessarily see that, but, uh, maybe we should, unless you guys want to address this any, any further, we should talk about, Notre Dame playing Oklahoma State that did get the bid to the Fiesta Bowl January 1st. Uh, we thought it might be Michigan State. I'm not sure which matchup. I think Oklahoma State's matchup 
is more difficult uh, or Notre Dame's matchup with Oklahoma State is more difficult just because of the level of defense that they that they're capable of playing. Whereas you know Notre Dame was good, and I still think Notre Dame has the advantage. Notre Dame's offense has the advantage over their defense more than Oklahoma State's offense has over Notre Dame's defense. But Michigan State's you know pass defense is horrible. Jack Cohn would have a 350 50 yard day against them. Uh, I think Oklahoma State's a little bit more problematic just because they do such a really good job of putting you behind the chains. This is a non sequitur now, but Pete, if it's a whiz bang playbook that goes back like 70 years where, you know, if you're going to use that terminology that you, uh, you don't need a coach to do those things, but. Sorry, unless you, unless that. you come up with your own offense, like. I hadn't heard like, that term uh, since. Chip, you know, like Chip, Chip Kelly, totally fine. Had his own offense. Bill Walsh had his own offense. 2021, nobody has their own. Like, everyone's doing the same stuff. That's probably true. Priester, I I agree. The Michigan State matchup, I was thinking to myself, that's going to test them defensively, but there'll be some opt-outs on the Spartans, and Notre Dame is going to score 45 points. So let's see what happens. Now it gets a little closer to the best. I mean, this is – look, Oklahoma State is the worst situation post-playoff, right? They would have been in. Yeah, the team that should be most disappointed by not making it. Disappointed team, whereas Notre Dame went from being number one B to I cannot wait to hit the field. Yeah, and the last thing Oklahoma State needs is a incredibly motivated Notre Dame team coming at them. They're they're Oklahoma State's probably fortunate the game's not this Saturday. (laughs) I think Notre Dame will uh, take the field in their optimal zone. It, It, it. I mean, what I'm most interested in is like the ability to stress test whether Notre Dame's how, how much better Notre Dame's offense got over the last six weeks. Did it get a lot better? Did it get a little bit better? But how much different does it look than what we saw against Wisconsin and Cincinnati when it, when it was barely functional? So Oklahoma state's defense is fourth nationally in yards per play allowed. I believe Cincinnati is third and Wisconsin is second. So you're, you're, you're getting a chance to, all right, Let's let's sort of see what we're made of a little bit, Jack Cohn. Let's see what we're made of new offensive line, um, you know, tempo pass game. That that all is like from just a pure football standpoint, really interesting to me. Fifty four sacks in thirteen games leads the nation. They they, they lead the nation in uh, tackles for loss as well. Now they're not a huge takeaway team. They're I mean, Notre Dame's got a huge edge uh, margin of victory. Uh, Notre Dame takes the ball away better than Oklahoma State does, despite Oklahoma State's they, – they have some pretty outrageous numbers. I haven't, I haven't had a chance to, to watch film yet. I just wanted to get all the numbers uh, down in, in, in my head. And, you know, what's interesting, if you go look at the start of their season, and it's extremely similar to Notre Dame. They struggled, they struggled to win. They won by small margins. And then at a certain point, it all kind of kicked in, uh, just like it did for Notre Dame. Down, down the stretch so the two teams are similar in the way that their their seasons unfolded yeah I would I would kind of caution when you look at this and like I think Notre Dame has a, a massive emotional edge over Oklahoma State and I honestly believe if Brian Kelly were here and you were just going in as the second most disappointed team I think Oklahoma State would beat Notre Dame because I think that defense is something Notre Dame hasn't come close to seeing since Cincinnati and Wisconsin and now Notre Dame's offensive line is way better than it was then. But how much better, as Pete pointed out, 
are they better because they were just better than all the teams they were playing against with bad defenses or are they actually better and they can handle a defense like Oklahoma State's this is it's almost like on paper if you're if you're betting on the sharp side you're like well Oklahoma State's strength is the pass rush Notre Dame's weakness against good teams was protecting the passer Jack Cohn when the pressure comes goes down right that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a concern. There's not there's no doubt that it's it's <laughs> that's a concern. Fifty four sacks in thirteen games with Jack Cohn as a quarterback. That's concerning. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean Oklahoma State is good. Um, offensively, they're not great. Um, you know, whenever you're getting a situation where you run into a quarterback who throws four picks in a championship game, and the announcers are talking about how you know, like emotional stability is a bit of an issue. Like that's, that's not well, you could, um, I, I don't know how much you saw that game and I, I wasn't watching the whole it thing. As, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I did too, but I wasn't watching it as closely as I would know, you know, cause I would, I was still thinking Michigan state, but uh, Spencer Sanders, his body like his reaction, he got in the face of a ref when he didn't right. call, when he didn't call pass interference, he's thrown 12 interceptions, which is a lot. But seven of them came against Baylor in two games, four in one game and three in the first game. And he won, he won the first game despite the three interceptions. I, I Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's why I say I think, and again, I haven't, I haven't watched film, but just what I know up to this point, I think Nording's offense has a better chance against their great defense than Oklahoma State's offense against Nording's very good defense. Yeah, we should you take see what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. We should take so. one minute to, uh, as if Notre Dame fans would have had one more domino fall their way, thank number 42 of Baylor, Jaron McVay, for that remarkable sprint yeah. the, uh, corner to try to keep Notre Dame in the playoff contention because that dude had no business getting to where he did to save that play. <laughs> when you look at the replay of that, first of all, don't dive. Just stay up and shed the tackle because he was as – Well, yeah. Or, yeah I, I, well, even as it was happening, I was thinking – Lower your right shoulder and drive into him, but he he tried to win a foot race. God, that was hustle. I was so proud of that guy. Ah. <laughs> it's a huge moment. <laughs> well, you do you realize that that's a, that's Oklahoma State's backup running back, Jalen Warren, yeah. who's rushed for eleven hundred thirty-four yards, was out with a lower leg injury. I don't I don't know the severity of it. I don't think it's. I mean, we got we got three and a half weeks or whatever it is. He'll he'll play. I wonder if he reaches it. That dude's the dude that wasn't playing is 5'8, 220. He would have lowered his shoulder. He would <laughs> I don't he would have lowered his shoulder to get in the end zone. But yeah, when I saw him keep going, it wasn't that incredible. I mean, what yes, four yes. inches? It was incredible. Four, maybe four. <laughs> was, and he, that's and, use of the pylon cam ever. Oh my god. And he stretched, he literally stretched as far as he could. And when he begins the process of stretching, we don't know watching it whether he's going to make it or not. It's pretty incredible seeing him fall yeah. like maybe three or four inches short. Anyway, thank you, Jerry McVeigh, for making the next eight hours more enjoyable as a uh, fan of sports and of hope. Yeah, now they do have, uh, you know, the, I will say this about Spencer Sanders. I mean, he is a he's a guy that is resourceful and, and, and makes plays when they need him to make plays usually, which is why um, they are where they are and why they were playing for a playoff spot. Their receiving core, um, you know, they've got Tay Martin has 70 receptions for 942 yards. 
Uh, I mentioned Jalen Warren, the running back. I'm sure he'll be back. He has 11 rushing touchdowns. The, the depth of their wide receiver productivity is greater than Notre Dame's. They don't really have a tight end, which they call cow, they call a cowboy. Uh, and now we know why Jelani Woods left there because he caught eight passes last yeah. year. He got, he's got he had 44 for Virginia. I, you know, but it's a good thing that. Now that he transferred, because that would be one more guy that Notre Dame would have to deal with that 6'7", 275-pound cowboy, as they call him. Yeah, I mean, it's it, this is it's two very good teams. Um, I would, you know, would pick Notre Dame to win, but Ohio or Oklahoma State is good. And as I misspeak into Ohio, like it's the first New Year's Six game that I think we've covered in since forever that Notre Dame was not a prohibitive underdog. You know, this is not Ohio State in 2015, Ohio State in 05. It's definitely not LSU in 06. Um, so it's like Notre Dame goes into this and like the whole win a big game, yada, yada. Like that's not even there anymore. So it's like, I feel like Notre Dame could not be more free to just go out there and play than they are right now. It's just with a new coach, new vibe, this, you know, no real narratives hanging over them at all. Like, it um I feel like Notre Dame should be able to cut it loose in this game in a way that they just don't or can't in so many instances. Yeah, you know, I I, I agree. I, I that's why I think if they played this Saturday, how in the world would Oklahoma State be emotionally ready to play? They they wouldn't be at all. So they'll have a little bit of extra time. Let's talk about their pass rush. Just a couple of names. Remember, Colin Oliver is their defensive end. Uh he's their Isaiah Foskey. Foskey with 10 sacks, Oliver with 11 and a half in, in an extra game. I'll remind everybody, all the Irish Illustrated subscribers, and I will continue to refer to this. When we talk about stats, there's a game difference. Oklahoma State playing an extra game, so that that sways it a little bit. But they also have uh, Brock Martin, a defensive end, with seven sacks, and Devin Harper, a linebacker, with six. So they get after you. Uh, they don't – I mean, I, you know, again, we saw them without their number one running back. Uh, they didn't run it well against Baylor at all. Baylor's a top 20 run defense and Oklahoma state had 40 carries for 70 yards. You know, Baylor scored 21 points in the first half. They didn't even score a point in the second half and were able to hold them off. That's why I'm encouraged about Oklahoma state's offense does not match up well with Notre Dame's defense. No, I, I did think Baylor's defense was. Man, what a job. They, what a they job did. they did, man. They were, they were fantastic that day. It was a salty defense, but Notre Dame is going to have a focused quality defense out there as well you made a great point to start this Tim that no matter what you got to worry about Jack Cohen being under duress and he will be under duress Notre Dame's defense should have plenty of answers for for Oklahoma State's offense yeah the the old the the one two three throw philosophy that we were talking yeah. about which kind of yeah. which kind of went away as as November evolved they're gonna have to incorporate they incorporate that uh, that again I do want to more of a one two throw yeah <laughs> he was looking at exactly, Luke yeah. the last month yeah, yeah. Kind of look back like ah, just stand back here a little while, look around a little bit longer because can't do much. But I do, I do want to add that that uh, the, the the Kyle Hamilton situation was brought up, and and um, and Marcus Freeman was clear that Kyle Hamilton's health is number one. Um, I don't, not that there was any doubt. I don't think there was any doubt whether healthy or not. We don't, we don't anticipate him playing in this game. I think it was, you know, playoff would have spurred him on because, yeah. um, like, the playoff is just different. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll see about that. Well, the last thing that he needs, and I and I get it, and I've, you know, I've come a long way since we first started talking about these things, but um, 
Yeah, the last thing he needs is is an injury. I mean, it doesn't an injury just say comparable to this one, a six seven week setback. I mean, he can't he can't afford that to happen. And I get it. And I think Notre Dame will be Notre Dame can still win this football game without Kyle Hamilton. They just won seven in a row, six of which were without Kyle Hamilton. So, um, you know, of course they didn't play anybody close to Oklahoma state, but I do like this matchup. It's interesting. It's an opponent. Notre Dame has never played, uh, which is, you know, you don't hear that very often anymore among power five conference teams. They're one of the few ones that are, that are still left. So it's an interesting matchup. Somebody brought up orange and black playing in a major bowl. What could possibly go wrong? You know, like Oregon state back in the day. Wow. Wow, but that's a, uh, that's a stretch. Yeah. Yeah. TJ yeah, yeah. is not walking through that door. No, he definitely is not. Uh, neither is Ocho Cinco. So yeah, man, that team was loaded. Holy oh, crap. Best, <laughs> best touchdown dance against Notre Dame I've ever seen in my life in that game. Remind me what it was. Chad Johnson or Hushman's. Oh, Hushman's out of scored and Chad Johnson patted him down when he put his hands up on his head. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching it thinking to myself, Okay, that's just that's it right there. This is over. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's all I remember from that day. What else do you guys um, want to mention? We we have obviously we have plenty of time to talk about Oklahoma State. But Tim, Tim, you texted me. I literally forgot about Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma State. It coming out of this press conference. Oh yeah, no. During you mean during this this, this podcast? Yeah, like, uh, we yeah. Just... No, no. Yeah, I mean, I, I like. Oh yeah, we did. Well, I we figure we had dimension. No, we do, but I did. I, I mean, I in the intro, I should have mentioned that Notre Dame's going to the Fiesta Bowl for crying out loud. <laughs> but I just anything else you guys want to? Uh, Pete, you were there, uh, uh, and Tim is tending to an ailing youngster here today, which is why I had a solo instant analysis. Yeah. But um, you know, I, I want to mention uh, it, it was it was getting near the end. It was very near the end, and he said that that Marcus Freeman said that he wants to be. You know, I want them to see me as husband, father, leader, colleague. I think he might have mentioned a, a, another thing or two. And that's, I mean, that is, that is huge. And, and then here's his beautiful family sitting, sitting, you know, front and center there. Um, it was a cool moment, man. I, this is the seventh head coach that I've covered. Um, and I, and I, I've expre- expressed it before and I know people don't want to, I, I appreciate the relationship that we had with Brian Kelly. I think he yeah. made the job very easy over 12 years for the most part. Uh, and, and, you know, I think, but I think that Marcus Freeman is going to be very easy to deal with as well. I think it'll be very professional. Uh, and I, you know, I'd like to hear a guy that's going to try to show his players, husband, father, leader, colleague. I think that's all part of the great image and, and message that he has to share with current Notre Dame football players and future Notre Dame football players. I would say, you know, as much as I think <clears throat> Brian Kelly modernized Notre Dame football as like a business, like an operation, um, Marcus Freeman is mo- is going to modernize football in terms of image and approach. Um, it is impossible to sit there and listen to him speak or see his kids running around. One of them almost wiped me out uh, in the end zone <laughs> as I was walking out there playing catch um, and not just sort of feel some energy about it, um, some relatability about it. Like Notre Dame, Notre Dame football is cool now, um, which is not something it ever was under Brian Kelly or Charlie Weiss or Tyrone Willingham. 
I don't know the last time it ever was. Um, certainly not since I've been covering the program. Like it's been interesting. Oh, it's Randy been interesting. Thompson. Yeah, it's been yeah. interesting forever. Um, but it's never been sort of like modern, hip, or cool. I don't. I always sort of make this joke like if if every recruit whose parents wanted them at Notre Dame came to Notre Dame, Bob Davey would still be coaching. Um, he would have like 450 wins. But you've got a head coach now that like is going to flip that around where like the the players themselves, the high, high school kids are going to want to play for Marcus Freeman and then they can tell their parents why. Um, that That has been reversed for a while. So I think that that part of it there's just a youth and an energy around Notre Dame football that is different and new and exciting. And like, you know, even for people like us who cover the team, like I'm excited about that element too, because it's just, it's new stories to tell. It's a new energy. It just like everything sort of feels suddenly reinvigorated. They needed it. We, we talked about it. They needed it without knowing it because they were going to be good next year anyway. Right. Yep. Yeah, I, you know, Pete, it's, anyway, it's just it's it's a different situation now, Tim. And I think you have a new situation, Tim. This is you've got you got st- well, this had is, enough, uh, enough errors going through here. Now you have another new era, and it's a fun one. It, it's 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 a great way to have a new era. Brian Kelly left you with a great program. Yeah, no, no doubt, and Pete. As Mark you started to, as you started to say that, I wrote down Notre Dame is a cool place to be. It it, yeah. it will be a cool place to be now. Now look. <laughs> He hasn't been on the field yet. He's going to make mistakes, and there are going to be times where he might make a mistake that actually even costs him a game. He's got to learn how to be the, the head coach on game day, and that does not come easily. And I promise you that Irish Illustrated will call it straight, even though he won the day and he won the he won the press conference. He, he you know, once the games start, he's going to have to to live up to all these promises. And I, I, they don't even feel like promises. It's just. Hey man, this is what we're going to do. This is what we believe we're capable of accomplishing. And uh, yeah, it is exciting. I would imagine that this is <laughs> this is probably the last head coach that I cover at Notre Dame. And I hope that uh, I hope that I can say that uh, when he's still in place in my seventies and and he's still here, meaning that he's still having a whole bunch of success at Notre Dame. You know, I, I, there was also a uh, Kurt Heinisch also said uh, he brought up uh, Kirby Smart and Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day as, you know, he looks at those guys and says, if they can be successful, Marcus Freeman can be mm-hmm. successful. And I, and I thought that it was interesting that Swarbrick pointed out that the player in his discussion with the players, the players said, look, we know enough players at other schools we know what their programs are like right. and the, and we know what uh how important marcus freeman is to continue slash to change slash continue the winning culture um moving forward i thought that was interesting because of course that's true they've got tons of friends scattered throughout power five conference schools and they know a good coach when they see one and they hear one, when they hear from their friends about what other coaches are like. Yeah. I think that's all. Again, it kind of goes back to like, you can have a preference of your player. If you're, if the players have one, which obviously they did, but like you got to earn the right for that to count. Right. Um, the the culture point. has to be as good as it is. Um, you know, Sorberg is certainly aware of that. Um, 
but yeah, it's, I, I think if you're a player and you sort of see, like, I think it was, this is just like a, a kind of funky example, but like, I believe at Ohio state, like Ryan day's office is situated where the players actually have to pass by it every day. Like when they go to the weight room or, you know, move around the facility. I mean, we've been in Brian Kelly's office or know where it is at least like it's tucked away in the corner, um, has this nice balcony overlooking everything, but like, there just wasn't like this tactile connection, this physical connection there. And I think that's, that's what Marcus Freeman embodies as much as anything, just this like physical connection that, you know, when you walk into the locker room the, for the first time, you're going to yell and scream and like players are going to mob you and hug you and just want a piece of you. Uh, and Marcus Freeman is willing and happy and to like, give that piece of him back. Um, you know, I was talking to, uh, it was funny. I was talking to Joanna's wife after the press conference and she said, you know, when they were talking about, uh, going to LSU with Brian Kelly this time, um, and Marcus said, like, she said that Marcus told her, like, you know, I just, Joanna, like, I can't, I can't leave these kids. And at first she thought like, he was talking about his own kids kids. (laughs) and he's like, no, he's actually talking about the name football players. Um, so yeah, there's just like a physical and emotional bond there that is, is really cool and real. And I think that that is something different. That's a change from where things were. So are you saying that he, if let's say fickle came in, would he have stayed as defensive coordinator? I mean, what you're saying there would seem to choosing between Notre Dame and LSU. We'll never know. There, there's no yeah. way of answering that. But the good news is all Notre Dame gets all this with Marcus Freeman and the interaction with the players, and Freeman still gets to keep that badass balcony that Brian Kelly had. He can stay in the corner because he can just talk yes. to them. <laughs> yeah, you know, I there was one thing that Marcus Freeman didn't say that I as in the you know, we found out what Friday that the press conference would be on Monday, so we had a lot of time to think about. I should ask better questions since I had so much time, but um, (laughs) I thought one of the things I thought that Marcus Freeman would say is that he would give, he would be thankful to Brian Kelly for bringing him in and leaving him with a program that's 54 and nine in the last five years. He didn't touch that. I I guess I understand why he didn't touch that because there are a lot of frayed uh, edges here. The players probably wouldn't have wanted to hear that. And no. got to know your audience. And, They're all well, sitting right I, there. Yes. But I'm talking to an audience right now and I know they didn't want to hear that either, yes. but I, I, I say what I think and say what I mean. And so I said, I thought, I thought he would say that. And were I in the same position, I think I would have said that, but I get why he didn't uh, because you know, the players might've booed at that point if he had said that, you know what I'm saying? I, yeah, I know what you're saying. Like it's, and you're saying, you know, your audience, like they're all listening uh, uh, with earbuds in those players were right in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no doubt. No doubt. Well, um, unless you guys have anything else, I think we're going to wrap it up here today. We're going to come back on Thursday. I apologize for not taking questions to the last three podcasts, but <laughs> we had, we had enough fodder to work with here. And so we will take, of course, your questions on Thursday when we reconvene for Irish illustrated insider for Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson on Tim Priester. Thanks for joining us.
Looking for a gift for the Notre Dame fan on your holiday shopping list? Help them commemorate their first Notre Dame game or loyalty to the Fighting Irish with the Notre Dame Football Heritage Project Certificate. Your donation, $5 minimum, will help the Araparsegian Medical Research Fund and the Notre Dame Gallivan Journalism Program. Visit ndcertificate.com to learn more.